You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lisa Schneer. Say hi, Lisa. Hey, folks. Welcome to the show today. Today, we are talking about the observation that there seems to be a fundamental shift from the art of sales to the science of sales, how new sales technology is enabling a true cross-functional alignment across marketing, sales services, product management, and back-end systems. To help us with that today, we have Todd Abbott, EVP of Corporate Development at Mediafly. Todd, thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show. That's good to be here. Great. Happy Friday to everybody. Happy Friday. (laughs) Hey, one little thing we like to do to start each of these episodes, it's like our topic of the day and it allows folks to get a little insights into you is, hey, what's something that you are passionate about that those who only know you through work might be surprised to know? I am a passionate cook. If I had picked another career, it would have been as a chef. It's probably the same amount of hours I work as an entrepreneur. But uh, uh, living down here in Miami, I get to do a lot of smoking 24 hours, or I shouldn't say 24, but uh, 12 months a year. And so I love just putting on a, a rack of ribs first thing in the morning and being able to uh, smoke it all day. That's one of the beauties of working from home. You can actually tend to them during the week. It's no longer just a weekend thing, but I get to do it seven days a week if I wish. I got some after the podcast. Let's talk about my new smoker. I got to exchange some stories with you. All right, let's do it. (laughs) But until until then, (laughs) can you tell us a little bit more about Mediafly, your role there, and what how you ended up at this point in your career? Yeah, so I was the CEO of Insight Squared and Mediafly acquired us in January of this year. We had actually been working on a partnership for the last 12 months that then morphed into a combining of the companies. And it's really a lot to do with the whole science of sales, which is the subject of this session. And so I've morphed from being the CEO of a startup SaaS company to now doing mergers and acquisitions here for Mediafly, as we believe the markets are going to consolidate. A downturn always accelerates that. And Frankly, the tech stacks are too voluminous with too many islands of automation. And so there's a real trend that I think it's going to pick up here quick that the tech stacks companies are going to consolidate. And we want to be a consolidator, not a consolidatee. That's a good place to be. Carlos and I were actually just talking about this before we started recording how the MarTech landscape slide now is like a NASCAR slide. Every logo is so tiny, you can barely even see it. So when we're talking about this fundamental shift of the art of sales to the science of sales, what does that really mean? Can you clarify that a little bit for the audience? Yeah, but I mean, we have, I've been a CRO sales leader for, gosh, the better part of my career. We've always had this art of sales. It's this mysteriousness of what makes a good sales rep. It's, it's EQ. It's the ability to engage with customers. And when things don't go well, it must be about the individual, about the rep. And you see lots of turnover of CROs because when the company's not executing, it must be sales execution. And the real challenge that we've had around this art of sales, hiring the best of people, is that you've never really had the data to really understand what's going on in the sales process. We've relied on the rep to provide the data and their judgment on the health of that engagement, that deal. And it's this little cat and mouse game that every manager, every rep plays, which is a total waste of time. 
that now what we have is technology that can capture all of the information. Think of it as the digital footprint as your customer progresses through the series of meetings on a new deal, on a renewal, on a cross-sell. We have now the ability to capture all of that digital footprint and it creates a voluminous amount of data that with the right infrastructure, you can now get insights that were just not possible before. And so when we talk about the science of sales, it's capturing all that information to really understand where you win, why you win, both tactically on a deal, but as well holistically across your sales process. It's a fundamental shift on what's now possible in the revenue processes of every B2B company. Yeah, I, was, I talk about this a lot because I started my career as an SDR many moons ago. And at that time, we were trying to figure out things like reply rates and open rates and things like in a spreadsheet with like manually going, digging through our email and figuring out what worked, what didn't work. What, how do I create a repeatable process of surrounding success and hitting quota? So it's incredible what you can do now. 100%. It is changing the function of RevOps, sales ops. It's changing sales leadership. And I'm just on this quest, and I appreciate the opportunity here to, to share it with your listeners. I'm on this quest to help people understand that what is the art of the possible now is fundamentally different than what it was five years ago. And if you don't embrace it, it's going to be very difficult for you to stay ahead and compete effectively. You have to embrace this new capability and become much more analytical doesn't mean the art of sales goes away, but it becomes actually that much better to understand why do your best people consistently execute? Now you've got the data to understand what they're doing, when they do it, to replicate it across your whole sales organization. Yeah. And what you said earlier about the mystery behind winning, like I think there's always been this kind of conversation in the background amongst reps, of, as particularly around those top reps of, well, oh, have you seen that guy present? Like, no wonder he wins all the time. And it's like, mm, it's not just that, though. It's never just that. You can be a very compelling, charismatic person. That is the art of sales, but that is never the whole story. And so I'm curious because our listeners want to know, how does that all work with Mediafly? Like, what is Mediafly allowing people to do when we talk about the science of sales? Yeah, so the two companies had two very different origins and focuses on this digital footprint, if you will. Inside Squared um, had morphed into from a dashboard company to one that was really all about revenue analytics. And what we brought to market was a technology that could capture all of the digital engagement between every customer-facing resource in your company and the customer, all of the emails, all of the contacts, all of the meetings. And so now you, you really understand what is the series of meetings on a conversion or on a win. I like to think about this as every sales process is a series of meetings. And customer A may close deals an average of seven to eight meetings. A larger, complex, longer sales cycle might be 25 meetings. You have a series of meetings, and all you're trying to do in every meeting is to stay relevant and deliver more value so that the customers bring more of the decision makers to ultimately you get the sponsorship to be able to make a decision. That's what a sales process is. We try to bucketize it in sales stages, but the reality is reps are horrible about keeping things in the proper stages. It's all about a series of meetings. <laughs> And do you know what a good meeting is? And do you know the, the reps that consistently execute what they're doing to convert at a higher rate? I often had large sales teams and I would send out consultants or my enablement team and say, Let, I, I know who my top 20 reps are. Go figure out what they do and let's replicate it. And you'd go ask these reps and they would be like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I do what I do. It's just like intuitive. Like, they don't even know how to answer the question. And so I would never get back, oh, here are the reoccurring themes. 
Well, now I don't need to go waste the time of having surveys. I know what the best reps are doing. I know who they're emailing, what their cadence is, what they're messaging, how they're communicating, what content they're using. So that now I need a set of analysts to be able to look at those top 20 activities. How do they engage to be able to now say, this is what great looks like. When I win, this is how we execute. And so it fundamentally changes the game to be able to drive continuous improvement in the sales process. Okay, Todd. Now, I don't mean to challenge you a little bit, but I spent 13 years selling CRM before people could spell it, I felt like. It was a great ride. I think it did great things. But one of the big challenges was, hey, sooner or later, I'm reliant on a human being to enter something into a field or capture something or use a tool. And then I got to run analysis out of it. And worse yet, if that human being doesn't see any value in doing it, uh, man, it's an uphill battle to get them to keep doing it. That's right. Any feedback on how do we get over that hump? Yeah, I mean, I think the technology now uh, takes that dependency out of the way. I mean, I think it's important we take a step back and understand CRM was created to capture the Rolodex and the, the personal productivity tools that reps had, what they were doing with their customers so that when they left or if they left, you didn't have to reestablish what that territory is, what that deal is. In the early days, I mean, when you hired your competitor's best reps, you got that Rolodex. It was a huge competitive advantage. And so CRM was really equipped to get that information because it's not the rep's information, it's the company's information. And so it's morphed into a great database and workflow engine. That's what CRM is. It never really delivered on the promise of being a territory management tool for reps. And so to your point, it's always been an administrative burden to input data. And so my basic premise is you got to get the rep out of the data entry business. And so the technology now does that. It captures all of that digital footprint. Think of it as a piece of software that sits in between your email calendaring system and CRM and automatically adds all of those activities, including the bodies of the content, the content that was shared, the conversations that took place in the meeting. It puts all of that into the system without the rep having to hit the, the enter key. And so you now take that burden away and you're now providing analytics on that to be able to prompt the rep, provide insights to the rep to better manage the territory at what needs to be updated in the CRM system from a judgmental standpoint. But the judgment is now enriched because you're prompting them. Think about it as a bullshit meter, right? You cannot <laughs> tell me this is a live deal when you haven't heard from the customer in a month. Like prompt the rep to think about each of the opportunities in his or her territory and provide the insights, the fact-based insights in the system so that I, as a manager, can better know where to spend time with you to coach. And so you take the rep out of the data entry business, Carlos, that's the number one thing this technology does. It makes it much more productive for reps and takes the burden away. And I'm not trying to get overly techie, but are you, is part of that recording the conversation that you're having and then doing transcripts and analysis off that? Yeah. So if you think about activity and customer engagement, what we've learned is that the level of engagement by the customer in the sales process is the number one indicator of the health of that deal. I mean, this is a statement of the obvious, but when customers respond to emails, commit to meetings and engage in the meeting, then your value prop is resonating. And what you want is technology to be able to identify when do they stop engaging. And so as part of that, yeah, it is recording and transcribing and analyzing what's being said in these meetings 
to be able to understand the engagement level and what type of engagement approach keeps the customer engaged so they commit to the next meeting, bring more people in, and want to invest more time. And so there are this the whole conversational intelligence, which is what the industry terms the ability to record, transcribe, whether it's an audio call or a video call, and do analytics on how the rep or the SC or the team is engaging with customers, very valuable insights as to what a great meeting looks like. Okay. And and Todd, I, I've known you for years. I know you have a vast background. So based on your experience and what you guys are doing today, what might be some of the things you would recommend organizations measure? Like what might be some of those out insights? And you gave us a little hint to that, like, hey, if there's been a lack of engagement for over a month, other things like that. Yeah. So what we've been able to do and what my mindset has changed from, as I referred to before, sales stages versus meetings. This is a fundamental shift that this system has gotten me to think about. Everybody, for years, you look at an opportunity, where is it in the sales process? Uh, what stage are we at? And we, a lot of times, will weight a funnel based upon the opportunities that are in each stage. When in reality, again, that's dependent upon the rep's judgment and their, their diligence at keeping things in stage. And so what I've been able to really understand is, uh, where do I win and why? How many meetings does it take me? And, and what we've learned is every sales process has two inflection points. That inflection point, first one can be at five meetings, can be at 10 meetings, depends upon the length of the sales cycle. But as an example, in my commercial business, I know that if I can get past meeting three or four, I win 20% of the time from that point on. I've got to get through past meeting three or four. That typically is through the, dis- the qualification and discovery stage where you're getting the sponsorship to now bring more people into the dialogue to learn more about your solution and evaluate. The second inflection point is when you get the decision makers in. It's a, The buying group is bigger, but you're now getting broad sponsorship and you're close to a decision. And so if you know what those, those inflection points are, and you can then look at an opportunity to say, you had meeting three, you had meeting four, there's no fifth meeting scheduled, red alert. Or the customer stopped responding to the rep and hasn't responded for two weeks at those critical inflection points, the data will will show you and, and point you to those opportunities so I can engage with those reps to be able to understand, hey, how do I coach you to get that deal back on track? The rep can't hide and say, yeah, no, it's a good deal. They're going to come back to me. Well, actually, no. They're not responding to your emails. They didn't schedule the next meeting. They're not looking at your content. Oh, and oh, by the way, I can now see through intent they're actually searching competition. So that digital footprint allows you to really understand. It's almost like you're on the inside and you're able to ascertain how engaged the customer is to be able to run the right play. They're not engaging. Send them this content. This gets them back. They are engaging with your content, but not responding to you. Don't flood them with emails let that germinate. Let them look at your content. In fact, send more content because they're doing evaluation. They're sharing it. So you would now have the ability to take to, to look at all this data and really understand where you are in the sales process and what plays to run. Excellent. I'm loving that. There was a comment you shared with us, which was enabling cross-functional alignment. And Today, we work with a lot of SaaS companies. And I can't tell you how many times I've said this is, hey, this isn't about just having process for sales. If you really want to think about running a SaaS business, getting that initial win is just the beginning. 
you got to get marketing and customer success and services all involved to get that flywheel to actually turn. Can you expand on your statement? Like, what did you mean by cross-functional alignment? Yeah, so the science of sales has both a tactical and a strategic of value. The tactic is the subjects that we've just been talking about. You take the judgment out relative to looking at every deal. You know where the deal is. And that changes the whole forecasting and funnel inspection and coaching between rep and manager. That's what I call the tactical. The strategic is how do I bring the different functions in the company to help our sales team execute? As a CRO, I always try to bring this philosophy to my peer organizations. It's our sales team. I need marketing, product management, finance, ops to help our sales team execute better through the sales process. And CROs are constantly faced in management business reviews, quarterly planning meetings, with marketing coming in with its vanity metrics on, look at all this great content, look at all these great seminars, look at all these great leads. And product says, look at this, all this great competitive data, you should never be losing. It's always sales's fault when we don't execute. And I, as the CRO, have always been challenged to get all of the supporting organizations to look at our sales team to understand what are the facts? How do we help them execute better? And the way we do that now is by providing data. I know what content works where. And so don't bring me this vanity metric on these great content. I can tell you, and marketing, you can now find out when this content is used at this process, the win rate goes up or the conversion rate goes up by X percent. This content's not being used. Now, maybe it's not being used right, or it's just not good content, but let's stop it with the vanity metric and let's understand what works where. Same thing with product. I'd love to have been able to have the data that says, I know you think your product's really good, but against this competitor at this stage, actually our win rate is 15, 20% less. Come help me understand why we don't win as well against this competitor at this stage. What traps should I lay leading up to that? Or how should the rep engage in the conversation with that objection or that competitor being introduced? You bring everybody to the table to understand based on that digital footprint, what actually is required to help the team execute better. And so strategically, it's a new world. I can bring every function to the table with one set of data that we can collectively go put plans in place to improve their ability to perform better with against competition, deliver that value and close more business. Todd, I'm having some flashbacks. <laughs> I'm thinking back to being a VP of sales and having a product guy that represents one of many in our portfolio yelling at me how we're not selling enough of product X and it's totally me and my team's fault. Not the products, it's the sales guys. They're not pushing it enough. So it would be great to have insights like that to really kind of fend that off. And you know, why is it? Because it's not just the sales guys' fault. I had a dollar every time I was in, a, in an executive <laughs> meeting where that was the line of discussion about all of the great marketing content, all of the great leads, all of the great product development, and was sitting there frustrated with, yeah, but you're not helping me. I never had the data to bring them to the table with a fact-based discussion. And it's why the life of a CRO is the shortest of any C-suite. And it goes back to the art of sales. It's it, I pity the CEOs, and I've been in situations where the CEO hears these different views from each functional organization how do they and the CFO understand really where the, the lack of execution is? Well, we've never had the data. Every function has its own data, its own judgment applied against the data. How were they ever going to try to figure out where the misalignment or execution was? That was the old world of the art of sales. 
Now we can equip RevOps and the, and the CRO with the data to bring those functions collaboratively now to help us go execute. It's one view of the truth. You take the judgment out of it. Okay. All right. I got two more little deep dive questions. Maybe they're good or bad. Is there, as we're collecting this data and helping to automate some of this, is there any value to the customer? Like, do you help create better content or information that we can feed back to the customer to give them some value that really differentiates how your team might sell versus a competitor? I think I would answer that question in two ways. One, as a new customer versus as a renewal customer, because I think they're two different contexts. Let's take the latter first. As a customer, if my team and I start to get disengaged and you as the provider of that service can recognize that and deliver value to get us back on track much more effectively, it's a much better experience. You can very quickly identify when the dynamic has changed and through experience with other customers, see what value actually resonates with you as the customer. And so you're going to get more pinpointed engagement to continue to get the value out of the solution. As a new customer, you're going to have a much more enriched discussion because the reps are going to learn from the analytics of all the previous engagement as to what content is of value. And so the sales team is going to be more effective at getting you the content at the appropriate point to address your pain point. In an enterprise sales cycle, it's a nonlinear sales process. It, this thing takes a lot of different bends and curves and it's different for different industries. And if I, as an organization, can provide insights to the rep on how to engage most effectively with this specific type of customer, it's a more enriching discussion for that customer. It's much more productive. And so the engagement delivers value quicker and makes it much more enriching for them. So it, yeah, the customers absolutely get a better experience. And all right, one more. Any examples of organizations that are doing it right? Like can, organizations that we could all kind of learn from and go, hey, so-and-so kind of pulled it together and this is kind of how they did it. It's an interesting question. Let me just step back. And this is why I love what I do. Having been a CRO for as long as I have and gone through many of these experiences that we're talking about, I love engaging with ops leaders and CROs to understand where they are in this understanding, recognition, and adoption of this shift to the science of sales. And when I connect with somebody that understands, gets it, and is has this thirst for the data because they want to answer some of those tough questions that we've talked about, it's a totally different experience. And so I backing into your question, say there's I've got a group of customers that are just totally bought into analytics and the science of sales and applying it to enrich their execution. I just did a session down in Forrester with one of our customers at Brightcove, they have really embraced and have really gotten some very interesting insights as to how to change the sales management system with a platform like this. And it's changed that engagement from an interrogation inspection, which the rep doesn't like, the manager doesn't like. We all have to do it because you've got to forecast the business to survive. But it's the, I call it the least intellectually stimulating aspect of management. And so how do you get out of that? They're using the system to do the interrogation now. And it's Brian Froling, who's the CRO, has really leveraged the system to do it. And now the managers are much more engaged in coaching-based discussions. We're getting the manager back to coaching. So at the top of that list, I would put Brian Froling over at, at Brightcove as really embracing the science of sales. And it's making a fundamental difference on how he's leading that global team. I have to ask, because you brought it up a couple of times, do you run into a lot of 
conversations about the change management because I, I can see where, yeah, this might become something that might be tough to adopt when we're used to our older management techniques. Boy, you've hit it right on the head. It's the hardest part when you're running a global team. And whether you've got 50 managers, 100 managers, 20 managers, is how do you drive a level of consistency across all those organizations in different cultures? It's the hardest thing for a CRO to do. Everybody has different risk profiles, have different judgment applied to the, the deals and the forecast. And the hard part is getting everybody to understand how to leverage this technology and take the judgment out. Some people view that as a threat. Some people view that with great excitement. And so we have learned through the process that the sales management system, the, when I say that, I mean the forecast review, the funnel review, that process fundamentally changes. And so we put a lot more focus on that first-line management team. How do you change the way you run the business? Because if you don't get the first-line team to embrace and change the process on how they engage, then you're never going to get the reps. It really starts and stops for me with the first-line team. And so we spend a lot of time with the ops team to help them understand how do we train and how do we run through the change management process? Because if I, I always knew from many my, all my years of doing change management and changing cultures, if I could get the first line team bought in, well, then I know with, with a high degree of confidence, I'll get the reps to adapt over time. And so it kind of goes through this sequence of Get the CRO and the sales ops, uh, rev ops leader to understand the science of sales will change how I run the business strategically cross-functionally, but then how do I now funnel it down? Change management at the first line is the make or break in making the shift to science of sales. And you're going to find through this process that some first line managers are still operating in the art of sales and they're making, they're, it's a tough shift for them. And in my vernacular, I would say that if you have first-line managers that are not going to make that shift, they'll probably be your least execution-oriented, your lower performer over time, because they will not be able to drive the continuous improvement of their team's execution and results consistently. They may get lucky, but they won't be able to do it consistently. And uh, in that case, because I can see it with managers, but I can also see it with the reps, because this type of technology is almost like an x-ray machine on their process, on their activity, on their effort, and on how consistently they actually do the things they need to be doing. So do you help the managers with language around how to speak about this role of this change to keep it a positive thing and not this involuntary colonoscopy, maybe? <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's a very good question. And it's something that I have a high sensitivity meter too. I want to make sure in my change management processes to help the managers understand, do not use this as the big brother inspect, beat up the reps. It has to be the ability to provide insights to benchmark them themselves to be able to drive their continuous improvement. If you think about the best reps are self-learners. They're always, they have a thirst to continue to grow and learn. They typically get the least amount of coaching and they are bored the most about these management system processes. So now you have the ability with this system to be able to give them benchmarking against every one of their deals. They can think, they can get these prompts. Yeah, you're right. I haven't heard from this customer in the last two weeks. Yeah, you're right. I only have three customers as part of the buying group, and we typically don't win with less than seven or eight. Or, geez, the CRO's not engaged yet, and I'm at meeting seven. I'm behind. How do I get that CRO engaged? So you're providing insights for them to think and incorporate into their management of the opportunities. 
So the benchmarking against their territory enables them to be self-learners. And if you go to the other end of the spectrum, new reps or underperforming reps, those are typically the reps that are kind of faking it till they make it, right? They're hoping that customer is going to come back. And they're under a tremendous amount of pressure, kind of keeping that stuff in the funnel and hoping that I, as I get into month three, that I'm actually going to be able to get that customer engaged and close the deal. Well, actually, now we can identify those sooner. So you don't need to fake it. You get it exposes. So the manager actually now can coach up that rep to be able to perform much better. They, we identify where they're struggling earlier and you don't need to fake it. So at both ends of, of the spectrum, you're providing insights, you're pulling the curtain back and it's not a negative because reps want to learn, grow so that they can perform. They're coin operated. Help me execute better. And so no matter what end of the spectrum, you're providing insights so managers can help them execute better. Yeah, because we all know hope is not a strategy, hope right? Strategy. <laughs> this is where that comes in big time. You're exactly right. I mean, I've spent a career <laughs> trying to figure out where deals in the forecast were based on hope versus reality. And it's just a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just had a conversation about that at a workshop this week around, uh, oh, but I like we were talking about forecasting and oh, I just know. I just know this is going to close. And I was like, <laughs> oh, how many times have we said that? <laughs> My favorite are where they go, hey, they got budget and they got to spend it. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to spend it with you. <laughs> I was on a customer call the other day where a big deal. And I was, I highlighted that, hey, this deal doesn't look very healthy. And that, and the CRO said, oh, no, no, I'm engaged in that deal. It's a healthy deal. I said, really? Let's look at the engagement level. And he was engaged about 45 days ago. And I said, let's look at the engagement since that meeting. And there was none. It was flatlined. I said, do you realize that there's been no engagement from the customer since your meeting? And he, he sat there stone silenced going, uh-oh. And he came back to me a week later and he said, you know what? That deal had died and I didn't know. And that happens all mm -hmm. the time. Yep. Yep. It does. It does. Unfortunately, but this is great because honestly, these types of insights are going to help everyone do better and repeat that process and understand earlier where those red flags are so that you can course correct and get back on track or at least even be aware that your timeline has shifted. Increase that forecast accuracy, which, as we know, rolls up to every reporting metric that every executive needs to have. So that sounds amazing. We'll change direction a little bit here, Todd. At the end of every one of our podcasts with our guests, we ask, Two questions. And the first is that as a revenue executive yourself, you are often a prospect for the sales professionals we've been talking about. So help our audience understand what gets your attention when someone you don't know who does not have a referral into you is trying to sell to you. So like what captures your attention? What builds a little credibility? It's a great question and one that I consciously look at and assess when in fact somebody gets me. I'll typically compliment that company when they finally get me on the phone. And it typically comes from a customized set of insights that they're providing. They are doing homework and giving me insights and teaching me. And it typically takes two to four emails of insights for me to believe with credibility that I'm going to get something out of the discussion. Contrast that with a boilerplate discussion with yeah, either it still thinks I'm at Insight Squared, it's got my title wrong, like I can't hit delete fast enough. And so it's <laughs> insights that somebody has spent the time as a CRO running a big organization. If you're not going to make the time to give me something that is pertinent to me and do it in a way 
Typically, it's somebody who sends something one week, maybe waits two weeks, gives me another insight to, I am keeping track in my head. I may not respond. I don't respond to you, certainly on the first one. I typically don't till the third or fourth, but I am keeping track in my own kind of mental. I don't remember when I deleted somebody, but oh, here's another email from so-and-so. Interesting. I'll typically go online then and go do a little bit of research, wait for the third. And if there's a good third, then I'm typically, yeah, let's get a meeting. So it is very much pointed insights and it's not a boilerplate. You've got my attention. I'll give you the time to want to understand more. Love that. So provide me some insights of value to get my interests. Don't expect it to happen on the first try and keep chipping away to try to build that intrigue in a way to get you to actually want to even research them and take a peek. 100%. Uh, Love it. All right. Here's the other big question. We call it Acceleration Insights. And I'm not trying to butter your biscuit, but (laughs) Todd, you've had a great career. What is uh, one piece of advice you would love to share with our listeners that they might find value in in hitting their own targets and goals in their lives? What might that be and why? I think the number one thing I've learned is, and we hit upon this a little bit, it is all about the first line team. You've got to help those managers. A lot of times we put people into managers. We don't teach them the management system. They've been on the receiving end of forecast reviews, funnel reviews. They don't know how to do them well. They don't know how to coach. And so spending time to train up on the process and to train up on the science of sales, you, who you promote, who you put into those jobs is going to need to be more analytical than ever before. They have to be able to embrace. And so you have to now teach them how to use these analytical tools to remove the noise and get back to coaching. We don't spend enough time coaching up our people. And so my best advice is culturally, skills-wise, is, and they own the culture of the company. You've got to spend time on the first line. So if I've learned nothing else, every time I move into a, a new role, I am going down through the organization trying to connect with the first line team because they will make or break your success as a CRO. Yeah, it's a perfect answer. And uh, let's face it, we all, all follow someone that coaches you and makes you better. We won't follow someone that manages you. That's right. That's right. So, I was, hey, so uh, Todd, if people want to learn more about Mediafly or get in touch with you about this great topic, what's the best way to do that? Hit me up on LinkedIn. I engage with anybody that has questions or wants to engage. I'm at the stage of uh, my career where I love doing what I do and I love helping people. And so if you've got questions, want to brainstorm, got a challenge, it's a judgment-free zone. I'm happy to give you any insights that I may have. I typically learn a lot from those engagements or come to the mediafly.com website. Lots of material up there to learn more, but happy to engage with you directly. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Amazing. Thank you so much, Todd. We cannot thank you enough, honestly, for your time today. Time is a very, very valuable thing. And so we do very much appreciate your time, your insights, and your knowledge and sharing that with us and our audience. It's been great having you on the show. I've enjoyed it. (laughs) All right, everyone. That does it for this episode of the B2B Revenue Experience. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your family, your friends, your kids, your coworkers, your dogs and cats. And if you like what you hear, please throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I am Lisa Schneer. I'm here with my co-host, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. 
To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.